1: KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Celebrating 25 years as your host of the Garden Hotline. Here's Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks. Thank you, George, for passing the baton and welcome. And thanks to you for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. But if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. On Saturday morning, we get together and we have a roundtable discussion on what's impacting all your yard, whether it's front, back, sides, or it doesn't matter. How about your specialty garden space and that taste of the tropics and houseplants? What is potting mix and how to improve your soil, shearing, pruning, and uh, how to get rid of those bugs and diseases. Using information to make good decisions. And my thoughts are just how to help you orchestrate and solidify your options. With the final judgment going to be made by you. And this is your show, by the way. And I appreciate you inviting me into your car, your home, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another important player is Greg Harvey. He's here producing. I'm Mike Miller. I've been doing the Garden Hotline since 1994, and I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations and on the Internet. And during the week and sometimes on the weekend, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. Today, it's going to be into Webster. That's right after the show. And then out to O'Fallon, Missouri. So if you'd like to have a walk and talk in your yard, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage will have my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Stepped out of the car, well, stepped into the car. It was cloudy, breezy, kind of nice. It was setting the tempo for Memorial Day weekend. And what better place to take a stroll or the stroll rather than Soldiers Memorial right downtown? I mean, we sit basically on the north side of the building, not actually in the building, but in a building that's diagonal to it. And uh, the U.S. flags and the Missouri state flags, they were waving in the breeze. The plantings ranging from boxwood to viburnums to clethra. Whoa, clethra. Variegated liriope and some ornamental grasses. The signage and logo says Missouri or Soldiers Memorial, Missouri Historical Society. And a plaque tells the building was actually dedicated in May 30th, 1938 and it was to our dead soldiers. Along the building Foundation, foundation you're going to find cat mint, you're going to find boxwood, and all kinds of other things as well. some nice, neatly mulched planting areas. And uh, the statues, the huge ones, there's four of them around the building. And until you get around to the front, you can actually find out who actually did these huge statues. But uh, the two on the back side, they are basically, one says loyalty and the other one says sacrifice. And this building is spectacular. It's Art Deco style, so it's really, really kind of nice. There is signage that says, keep off the statues. You'd have to be... (laughs) Quite the climber to get up onto these things because they're so huge. But anyway, a new ramp gives access off Pine Street for anybody that wants to just use the ramp rather than the steps. The Itea Sweet Spire in full white bloom around the corner. And that's on the west side of the buildings where all the industrial mechanics of the buildings are. There's grasses there, boxwood, and some catmint as well. Also, some astilbe which kind of surprised me. I don't remember they still be being over there. But it's budded, and it looks like it's going to be flowering in about a week or so. Uh, and around front, which is on the south side of the building, there's this gray plaza with seating all over the place, large lawn area, which, uh, and an anchor from a ship. And there is information which will tell you which ship that is from. Actually, it's from the USS Langley. And uh, there are other major components there's a, tells, there's a kind of a sign there that says who did all the statues around the building and various things like that. The gentleman that did all the four major statues, his name is Walker Hancock. And uh, there's a, a sign that says over here, this is where the World War II memorial, monument is. And that was done by Hillis Arnold. There's a reflecting pool. There's five-branch fountain. There's memorial walls. they're planting pizzazz. Large mature trees mingle with some very young ones. White peonies are in bloom just about finished, though. There's so much, 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 much more. So why not on this Labor Day weekend head down to the Soldiers Memorial? Also, there's the Blue Star Memorial, which is a tribute by the National Garden Clubs to all the folks who spent time uh, in the military. Myself, 1969 to 1973 in the Air Force. And, uh, wow, what an experience that was, leaving Ellisville and being exposed to, (laughs) let's say, various parts of the world. I had never any idea of what they were really like. Everything from Barksdale Air Force Base, which is in Shreveport, Louisiana, to March Air Force Base, which is in Riverside, to Anderson Air Force Base, which is in Guam. And it was uh, very, very, very interesting. So... I did air intelligence, so when it was related to the Vietnam War, it was bombing strikes by the B-52s, whether they hit the target or not, and uh, when I was stateside, what we were doing, even back then, we had satellite imagery we were using to monitor industrial sites for countries we did not quite trust, and so we were making sure that these industrial sites weren't being converted into weaponry, making ass, you know, sites or whatever, so anyway, That was quite the experience, needless to say. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
3: Remember America's brave sons and daughters. We should remember that freedom isn't free.
4: We remember their courage. God bless you.
5: Thank you. We remember their selflessness. Just let our memories float with them. They will never be forgotten. This Memorial
1: Day, we'll never forget. One of the most important holidays we have. St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, good gardening in 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your questions, comments, or
6: concerns. And first, let's go to Maryland Heights and into Fred's yard. Hi, Fred, how are you?
7: Very good. Uh, Appreciate your program. Uh, I have a couple of questions. situations I need to ask you about. First, I have a holly. I have three holly bushes on the hill. Uh, I have, uh, I know it takes a male and a female to get the berries and whatever, but um, one of them, the leaves have turned brown. The other two are fine. Uh, Any thoughts, ideas? I mean everything else in that area is fine. It's just the one plant that the leaves have turned brown.
2: Well, definitely that plant is basically dead. So probably what has happened, for whatever reason, that plant has settled a little bit more. And even if it's on a hill, there's probably gotten too much water around the root system with the abundance or overabundance of rain that we've had. And so probably it's drowned.
7: So when I replace it, how do I tell if it was a boy or a girl or which to get? (laughs) Well, uh
2: Does it have, first of all, you can just look, if it has berries on it, then it was a girl.
7: Okay. So, um, all right, then I need to make sure that I get one that, the other, one of the other two has berries, the other one doesn't. Right, so
2: the one that doesn't is a boy and when you replant make sure that you dig the hole three times the diameter of the root ball but only about 80 percent as deep so in other words the top of the root ball is going to be above the surrounding ground so if there is any settling it won't sort of the same circumstance happen
7: again okay uh the second question i my property my yard backs up to common ground and the deer are coming up from the common ground and eating my hostas and my um, daisies and and stuff. Well, do you have any suggestions? I mean to to spread something or prevent it or yeah. Or... I would
2: try a couple. I would try a repellent, and if that particular repellent doesn't work, what I like to do with anything, with a fertilizer, with an insecticide, with an herbicide, with a fungicide, is I never really stay loyal to one product. I always rotate the products, and that way, if it. Uh, if an animal gets too let's say used to a certain smell or something that's going to you know make it so they get uh, oh well so what you know my nose is itchy right now but uh, i'm going to ha- go ahead and eat this hosta but uh, okay. if they're if they're thirsty enough and everything else even the repellents have a very very difficult time you know keeping the wildlife away from them because the animals this is a sort of a life i don't want to say life and death but it is kind of
7: yeah okay well, thank you very uh, very much for your service, and I appreciate the program.
6: Well, great. Well, thanks for having me on your show. And next, let's head to Donaldson, Illinois, and into Danny's yard. Hey, Danny, how are you?
8: Doing excellent. How about yourself, Mark? Very
6: good. Hey, a couple quick
8: things. I uh, purchased some bulbs last fall from the Brightside St. Louis uh, organization, mm-hmm. uh, and they come up and looked wonderful, and now they're... Uh, the past bloom. Can I just hit these stems and what's left up above the ground with a weed whacker, or what should I do with them?
2: You can you can do that, but make sure that the uh, the foliage is about at least half brown before you do it. So in other okay. words, once the foliage starts turning brown, then it's not really absorbing any more uh, nutrients and moisture and using sunlight to create food to make the bulbs you know stronger for next year.
8: Okay, I'll look them over cause it's probably been about two weeks past since the flowers were done, and yeah. they're they're curling up. And uh, some, I'm looking at them right now. Some of them are deathly brown, and some of them still got green left in them. So you can I'll wait, give for, it a...
2: yeah, wait for another week or two, and then go ahead and just whack them all down.
8: Also, I was wanting to thank you. I called you last uh, summer and got some advice about uh, transplanting some irises, and uh, they came up uh, and uh, look wonderful. They're flowering right now and uh, also called you about transplanting a catalpa tree, and it, uh, it's thriving as we speak. So uh, enjoy listening to the show, and uh, I'll continue to do so.
2: Well, great. Well, thanks. Have a good weekend. Yes, and speaking of catalpa, there's a catalpa tree down the hill from us on Christie Boulevard. Man, that thing is spectacular. The white
6: flowers are just its overwhelming. It really looks tropical. And now let's say good morning to Susan in Creefcore. Hi, Susan. Good morning. How are you? Very good.
9: A uh, couple of things. Number one, my zinnias that I planted are getting eaten up.
2: Any suggestions? Uh, basically, you know, try to figure out what's been eating them. I mean, uh, there's all kinds of insects out there, and uh, just gonna, most of the insecticides are going to be contact killers, so you have to spray and hit the actual insect that's actually doing the eating. Look on the underside of the leaf. That's usually okay. where the kind of the problemat- problematic insects are going to be. Probably sm- it could be small caterpillars and things like that, so look really pretty closely at a couple different leaves on the individual plants.
9: Okay, and then I had two other real quick things. I planted some elephant ears, and they were about the size of a baseball. Mm-hmm. How long does it take them to come up?
2: It could. I mean, it could be another couple of weeks because I've put mine, you know, I have mine are a little bit bigger. I've been growing them for years, so mine are not quite the size of a pineapple, but getting fairly close. And just out of the four or five that I've planted, only one of them has started to shoot a spike up with, a, with foliage on it. So it's a so, matter it's just a matter of time.
9: Okay, so anyway, I mean is there a time thing like oh it takes 2 weeks or 3 weeks or 4 weeks or anything?
2: No. Like that? <laughs> Nothing like that. They'll
9: come when they're ready.
2: Exactly.
9: <laughs> okay, and last but not least, I had my yard aerated, uh aerated mm-hmm. about a week and a half ago and I've got a section toward the front that has just turned into a lot of weeds, and I want to put some weed and feed on it. How long do I need to wait before I do that?
2: Well, the aeration and the weed and feed have nothing. They're not contrasting or they they don't butt heads or anything like that. So you can put the weed and feed down ASAP.
9: Okay. I want to give that new grass a chance when it comes up and get rid of the
2: weeds. Right. So you've oh. So after your aeration you did you put grass seed down or you just aerated? Yes. It? No, it was uh seed was put down. Okay. I would probably Fine. look at the weed and feed bag and see you know what kind what kind of time frame usually about seven days should be adequate, but uh, individual products it might be a little bit less time it might be a little bit more time. so always read the label i didn't realize you you said you'd aerated you didn't say that you'd spread seed, so that's why I was a little bit uh, off I don't have any of the
9: information because I had somebody.
2: You, you had somebody do it. Well, c- contact them and ask them what product they used. And if they, if you don't have access to it, you can't look at look up the product online. Tell you know, ask them about uh, you know, putting the weed and feed down. But uh, if they put the they put the seed down and they core aerated, now are they going to come and put the weed and feed down? No, I'm going to put the weed and feed down. Okay, I would say then you have to have that product or else you can't put it down. So you just have to read the label. On the seed? No, on the weed and feed. Okay. So there'll be a label that says, you know, do not do this, do this, do this, don't do this. Just read the entire label on, let's say, okay.
6: seeding and things like that. Okay,
9: great. Thank you for your help. Sure. Bye.
6: Thank you. And, Mike, let's get one more call before our break. And Bill is live and Lively in Centralia, Illinois. (laughs) Whoa. Hi, Bill.
2: (laughs) Hey, Bill, are you there? Yeah. Okay.
5: How are you this morning? I'm very good. Okay, good. Uh, I have a question about rhubarb. I have rhubarb that's two years old, and uh, they're starting to turn red on the edge of their leaves, are they missing something?
2: No, that's, you know, they're probably just fine. Is Are the stalks okay and everything okay? The leaves look good?
5: Well, the leaves are a little bit withered, but I think that's because of all the bizarre weather we've had.
2: I agree with you, and uh, I would say wait for another year before you do any harvesting. Just go ahead and let them go, and uh, then, uh, I mean, it sounds like everything's fine.
10: Okay, thank you very much, Mike.
2: Well, thank you. Mike Miller, K M O S Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: Recently on The Charlie Brennan Show, our guest is Brian Lamb, the founder of C-SPAN. You know,
5: I have to say to you, uh, Mr. Brennan, what you did for Chuck Berry
2: is worth this time that I'm spending with you.
1: When you come to St. Louis, you and I are going to have lunch at the Blueberry Hill and then take a look at the Chuck Berry statue across the street. It's a deal. Thank you so much, Brian Lamb, for all you do, and thanks for this contribution to presidential history. I sure appreciate it. Thank you,
5: Charlie. They're a great radio station. Love KMOX. Charlie Brennan, weekday mornings at
1: 9 on KMOX. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900
6: or 1-800-925-1120. And we're gonna head to North City and talk to Rick hi Rick yeah
10: yeah hi Mike. how you doing?
6: I'm very good, and you
10: oh <laughs> excellent, all right hey, I got a uh i guess it's a yellow flower in the in the throughout the yard uh I think it's oxalis. yes, <clears throat> and well what I wanna do is uh spray it with weed uh big gone. And uh, with the liquid spot, will will this kill just the flower or is there a seed? I don't want to go out there and spend a lot of time if it's just going to kill the flower and not going to do kill the seed or whatever it is.
2: No, it won't kill the seed, but it will kill the plant. So it won't just get rid of the flower. It will kill the foliage and everything else. But if it has already dropped seed... Then you have to put a pre-emergent down to get rid of the seed. But there's very few, uh, and I can't think of any of them right now, that would actually, you know, let's say an herbicide that would kill the plant and also the seed at the same time. So it won't get rid of the seed, but it'll get rid of the plant, flower, and everything else. So then consequently, you'll be left with the seeds that have already been formed by the plant, but it should stop any new ones from Uh being formed.
10: Then that sounds like an August with the pre-emergence. Right. Man, oh, man, I've been listening to you, Mike. I'm getting pretty smart.
2: You aren't kidding. (laughs) You're going to be taking over the show.
10: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I thank you for my call. Thank you very (laughs)
6: much. Well, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. See you. And now let's head on to Florissant, Missouri, and talk to Sharon. All right. We're going to save gas. Hi, Sharon.
2: Sharon, be sure and turn your radio down.
9: Hi. Hi. Good morning. Hi. I have a question. I, oh, you're right. Let me turn it down. Okay. I'm sorry. I apologize. I was at Home Depot and there was a plant called beautiful, um, a a bush, of dappled. I think it's dappled willow. Willow, have you ever heard of that?
2: Mm. I probably have, but it you know it doesn't really ring a bell. Right now.
9: Well, I want I wanted to buy it, and it's so it's beautiful, variegated bush uh, with pink tips, pink and white tips. But it, it said it was very quickly to get a disease, and I thought I would just ask you for sure before I purchased it.
2: Yeah, so it has variegated foliage. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, at the tips, only at the tips. It's hmm. very stunning. Yeah. What was the name of it again? Dappled, D A P P L E D. Okay. Willow. So dapple willow, hmm. uh
9: huh.
2: So it's got to be. I mean, I'm assuming it's probably an herb, probably not a tree form of willow. It's probably more or less an herbaceous type of willow. And so, consequently, if they're saying it's you know prone to disease problems, there could be no better place to grow plants that could potentially be disease problematic than the St. Louis metropolitan area with our humidity and everything else. So I would say oh. uh, just be very very cautious if you want to try it. And, you know, if you have great success with it one year, you may not have success with it again the following year. So you just never know what's going to happen.
9: That's what it said. I just wanted to hear your opinion. Thank you for taking my call. Have a great day. Well, you
2: do the very same thing. Yeah. Plants are categorized not exactly, you know, because they're trees, shrubs, perennials or anything else. It's all based upon the flower structure of the plant material. So you see something, how can this be a willow when there's big willow trees and there's this and that and everything else? But if it's a willow and it's technically, it says Salix,
6: S-A-L-I-X, as far as the genus goes, then it is in the willow family. So, All right, Mike, next we're going to be live and lively with Margie in Kirkwood. Hi, Margie.
9: Hi, good morning. Hi. Um, I am calling with a question about scale. I called you a couple of months ago on this, on my, um, I've got this like 25-year-old Schefflera tree that mm-hmm. when I brought it in, I, you know, I, it developed this white powdery stuff, and you thought it was scale, told me how to treat it. Well, I didn't, because when I put it outside, it went, it, I don't see any evidence of it. So my question is, is it going to be laying dormant, or will a good, hot St. Louis summer take care of it for me?
2: Nothing will – hot weather will not take care of problems. So scale doesn't disappear. So maybe you had powdery mildew instead of scale. Oh. So if it's disappeared, scale is a bug. So it's Mm -hmm. a lump that will just stick there. It doesn't move or anything else, but its mouth is on the underside of this little kind of shell like a fingernail, and then it just – just sucks, you know, let's say moisture out of the stems or the leaf or whatever, this, wherever the scale is stuck to. So you didn't have scale. You had probably powdery mildew. And and that goes away uh, outside? Well, it can, you know, weather-wise and everything else. But uh, also it could be, I mean, there's plenty of plants that get powdery mildew like lilacs. They look fine right now, but in another couple weeks, you're going to see powdery mildew on lilacs and many other plants get it you know, being outside with the humidity and everything else. So, okay, so once it could, I put it outside, it went away. So it Probably the rain washed it off. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the, let's say, the spores that cause it may not have been washed off, you know, themselves. So it may come up, you know, may return when you bring it back in or even return while it's still back outside.
11: Yeah, so take maybe a leaf or two to a garden center, I guess. But yeah, I or if, you ha- if you're
2: if you pretty sure it's powdery mildew, just tell them that you think it's powdery. Or you could take a leaf, but if there's no yeah. signs of anything, they're not going to be able to tell what it is. But uh, just tell them that you have this and see what they'd recommend as far as, let's say, a pretreatment. Because a lot of times with the funguses, if you treat them before they're actually obvious, before you can see them, that's a much better way as a preventative type thing. So, in other words, the spores are there. You just can't see it. They haven't exploded or erupted yet. So, that's consequently so, by putting the fungicide there, you're getting it before it becomes real obvious. Once it's obvious, then it's a little bit more harder, or it's harder to control with the fungicide.
9: So, just so I understand, if it was scale, it won't go away. I would still be seeing
2: it.
6: Right, exactly.
9: Okay.
6: Thank you. Certainly. And, Mike, let's head over to Manchester and into Roy's yard. Hi, Roy. Hi. Hey, I have a very large
10: ash tree, and I'm getting a lot of clusters of leaves under it. And I've had it treated for the ash borer, and it looks very healthy. But I get a lot of clusters of leaves on it. Could that be squirrels? <laughs> Absolutely.
2: <laughs> and strong winds, too. So the emerald ash borer is not going to cause clusters of leaves. Let's say it's a short stem with four or five leaves on it. That's not what the emerald ash borer is going to do. But uh, you're probably, it's either wind damage, you know, or it's going to be squirrels just chewing on stuff because they got to keep chewing to keep their teeth from overgrowing. Well, I see squirrels up there and then pretty soon I'll see leaves falling. Right. So it's probably the squirrels. They use some of it for nests. They use some of it just because they got to chew on stuff. And better yeah, than chewing them. yeah better than chewing on your ash tree rather than on your uh, siding of your house or your you know whatever else
10: that's true okay thank you very much certainly
6: and we'll get one more in before the break Ralph is joining us from Chesterfield hi Ralph
3: hey how you doing Mike very good hey thank you for all your service first off um, but um, I just had a quick question um I have I planted a couple of these Japanese maples. They're like the green leaf ones. I don't know the exact species, Mm -hmm. but they're like the ones that are pretty tall already. They're like about a six-foot, seven-foot tree, you know, about two-inch diameter, and then they're supposed to grow pretty big. Right. And um, they did pretty good. I planted them like in November of last year, and they did pretty good and um, came in nice. But now one of them, all of a sudden, um, the leaves are getting kind of like, Looks uh, like they're like getting smaller, and it's going from like that real green to like a light green or mm. yellowish. And there's some dead, um, like little branches in there with some of the newer growth is kind of dead. And I don't know. I'm guessing some kind of thug maybe, or I don't know. What would, would you think? Is there's anything to save that yet? Or
2: I don't know. It's going to be iffy. To me, what it sounds like is when it was planted, or when you planted it, you didn't plant it quite high enough. So in other words with the top Aww. of the root ball above the surrounding ground. So if you pull the mulch away, see if there's a depression right there because it sounds like with all the, you know, abundance of rain, this has gotten too wet and has kind of drowned the root system of the one that's not oh, looking boy. good. Why that one's, you know, as opposed to the other one, it's just because this one wasn't was planted maybe right at grade or slightly below grade, then water sits there and a newly installed plant, or really any kind, even an established plant, that's very, very tough for them.
3: Yeah, see, that's kind of exactly what you're, now that you mentioned it, because it was look, everything was looking great, and then, you know, with this, everybody's calling about the rain, the rain, the rain. Right. And then I just noticed it over the last really, you know, four or five days, you know, it's just like all of a sudden, I can see it's like, it's like going in reverse now. It looks like it's getting ready to go into dorm and see all yeah. like you know, like fall stuff. So. And that's right. you know, so that's probably exa- nothing to do with that, then, huh? Except dig N- it out, and replant it. Yeah,
2: much. you could. And I mean, to pull it up out of the ground and try to replant it, since it's headed downhill yeah. anyway, I would go ahead and do that. It's not advisable, really, to do it as we're heading into summertime. But it, the way it is, it sounds like it's just going to keep going downhill. So, it, root system is probably not well established. If you can pull it up. You know, and make sure the top 15 to 20% of the root ball will be above the surrounding ground. So, in other words, you're going to have to pack stuff underneath it and then, you know, replant it. You can put an inch of mulch or silver over the top that's above the surrounding ground and just uh, keep your fingers crossed.
3: Yeah. Okay. Hey, thanks as always for all your help. Appreciate it. Sure.
2: And, And with anybody, remember when you're newly installing anything, no fertilizer. Just dig the holes properly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline.
1: Take me out to the ball game. Get ready for the Cards and Braves tonight. M1 Total Access 520. First pitch, 615. Hear it here on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX. To the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX.
6: And first up, Mike, we're going to Hawk Point, Missouri, and into david's yard. Hey David and first up Mike, we're how are you
3: going to Hawk
2: Point, Missouri and into David yeah, good morning. Good morning.
12: Say, <laughs> Mike. I just want to say uh, thanks to all the veterans and uh especially those that paid the ultimate price we want to give thanks for them and God bless america um. I'm also a veteran, and uh, I'm trying to take care of some fruit trees I planted out here in Hawk Point. And um, I came upon a problem uh, the last couple of days. I sprayed these trees after uh, uh, the rain stopped. I sprayed them with seven malathion and some horticultural oil to kind of prepare them. And then all of a sudden, I went out there the last few days, and the leaves are turning brown. And I can't figure out what's going on.
2: I think you sprayed them with too many different things at the same time. That you was think a, that
12: might have been it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think you chemically burned the foliage. You can't spray three different things on plants, you know, in a relatively short period of time.
12: I see. Okay, well, that's what I was afraid of. <laughs> um, I went out there this morning and uh, mixed up some miracle Grow and... Uh, and some water and resprayed all the trees, tried to rinse them off a little bit because I figured that might have been the problem.
2: Yeah, but it's probably the damage is already done if the foliage is already starting to you know discolor. Right. So you so can. Do
12: you think I'm going to lose those trees? Well, or? it's
2: hard to say. What will happen is the foliage will probably continue to, to say decline. It'll probably drop, but just hopefully there's uh, secondary buds foliage buds that are there, and they'll push out some growth. Because you got to have leaves to keep a plant viable and healthy because nutrients nutrients and moisture come up from the root system, go into the leaf, and then the leaf uses sun to make chlorophyll, which is food. And so if there's no leaves, then that's it. It, They're gone.
12: Yeah, well, I'm hoping I haven't lost these. I was planting these Honeycrisp apples, and uh, one's been in the ground for a couple years, and it was doing pretty good. The other one, uh, I planted about a year ago and, uh, and then I planted, uh, the last couple of days, I planted a couple of cherries and a plum. So I'm trying to get my orchard kind of set up here. So I've got some fruit. Sure. But the other, the other trees didn't look too bad. I mean, they, they took like, they took it with no problem. My plum trees, uh, a pear tree and, uh and one of the cherries one of the cherries looks like it's starting to get a little bit uh leaf uh changing colors on on a few of the leaves but uh doesn't look as bad nearly as bad as the two apple trees
2: right so i mean why these are you know more prone to this problem it, who knows i mean it's kind of a it would be a guess, but I'm sure this is what it is. Too many different chemicals going on to them all at once. It's kind of like taking yeah. a bunch of medication yourself all at the same time. It can really screw you up and make you your stomach upset and who knows what else.
7: Well,
12: yeah, I'm just trying to protect from last year. We had a serious flight with the Japanese beetles. Right. And uh, And it stripped all my trees, and I was heartbroken about that. So I put some ghost spore down earlier in the spring, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm gonna good, I'm gonna put that down again around these trees and around my front yard to try to make sure I don't have the same infestation that I had last year.
2: Yeah, the, I mean, the, basically the the insecticides you put out were contact killers, and they have to hit the insect directly. So if the Japanese beetles weren't there, they weren't. It wasn't gonna do any good. The Japanese beetles still are grubs in the ground. Right. Right. So I think
12: well, I think I might have burned them then. Huh? Yes, definitely. Okay. All right. Well, I'll just continue to keep an eye on them, and uh, I also am still having some water problems. I lost a couple of trees last year uh, because uh, when I pulled them out of the ground, the root balls were soaked, and there was as I dug down a little further into the uh, into the potting soil, I ran into water because uh, we have a lot of clay.
13: Right. Yeah, and I
12: dug these pits down about three feet, and uh, when I planted these trees, and then filled them up with potting soil and uh, and topsoil.
2: Yeah, potting soil is not the best, and depth is not all that important. Lateral growth is more important, so three times the diameter of the root ball, but only about eighty percent is deep. So you don't you, digging a deep hole is not going to necessarily help all that much.
3: Okay.
12: All right. Well, I'll try to make the make the uh, circle a little bigger around these trees, uh, circumference a little bigger, and then put in more topsoil and see what I can do. Right. Get that root ball up above the ground a little more.
2: Absolutely. You know, about 20% of the root ball above the surrounding ground.
12: Well, thanks, Mike. Yep. I really appreciate it. I, I just moved here from California, so I'm just starting to get associated with all the problems we have around <laughs>
6: here <laughs> welcome to
2: <laughs> clay heaven
12: i'm telling you all right thanks uh, thanks again mike appreciate it sure
2: yes folks we've got uh, this about the end of the show but i'll tell you you can probably go out into your yard your landscape your garden or whatever and you start seeing a lot of plants that are kind of turning yellow you go, what is this? You know, That's what this is, is the annual cool season weeds that you would be putting to kill a pre-emergent in August. But right now, because it's getting hot, they're going dormant. So that's where the real trouble is. But they're just disappearing. The mother plants are disappearing, but they've dropped thousands and thousands and thousands of seeds. So uh,
6: uh, don't forget the pre emergence
1: KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Celebrating 25 years as your host of the Garden Hotline. Here's Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Unbelievable 25 years. Am I that old? Yes, I'm that old. Oh, my God. I'm 70. (laughs) So I started, let's see, 70 minus 25. Uh, Third grade math, hmm, sounds like 45. That's when I started. Well, welcome to the Garden Hotline, tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving that shortly. But right now, you can call 314-436-7900 or or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, comments, or whatever. And uh, thanks for having me on your show. Remember, if you were not there, I would not be here, and I wouldn't have been here for 25 years either. And we can discuss plant selection, caring for the ups and downs and all arounds. Annuals, uh, this has been a fantastic year because we had a pretty extended cool spell for the pansies, but now the pansies are elongating and the flower size is shrinking. So they've probably got another week or two and they're going to be gone. Your spring flowering bulbs are pretty much finished. Uh Just leave the foliage until it turns at least half brown before you cut it off. But the cannas and the caladiums and the gl- uh, gladiolas and... uh uh, the elephant ears and everything else, the summer bulbs, they're really starting to erupt. Your edibles, your ground covers, your houseplants, your lawn, your perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, or opinion is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered to you to kind of get you going maybe thinking in a little different direction or maybe thinking in the same direction knowing you're right. Across the big board from where I am, Greg Harvey is producing today. I spend my week doing landscape consulting where I come to your home and we discuss what's going on and what might happen, whether it's aesthetic or problem solving. If you're interested in having me come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage is where my email address and phone number are. And we can come to your home and share 40 plus years of experience in the outdoors. Actually, have spent most of my life in the outdoors. <sighs> Tip of the trials is a special recognition for individual, group, or a situation that's made an impression on me. And it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Well, speaking of veterans, Memorial Day weekend. Well, the Department of Veteran Affairs, Metro East Vet Center, Ribbon Cutting and Open House. That's coming up real soon. It was located in East St. Louis. Now it's been relocated to a newer, a newer building in different situation in Swansea, Illinois. So on Friday, May thirty first at twelve o'clock, there's a grand opening ceremony and ribbon cutting at the relocation of the former East St. Louis Vet Center. The ribbon cutting ceremony will be held in a celebration of the opening of the Veterans Affairs Vet Center in Swansea Illinois. Vet centers are community based counseling centers within the US Department of Veterans Affairs and uh, the grand opening is open to the public. So again it's May 31st so it's a week well a week less than a week now because it was a week it's on Friday. Anyway May 31st at 12 o'clock at the Metro East Vet Center. It's uh, That's located at 228 West Point Drive, Swansea, Illinois. So, again, a ribbon cutting for the new location, which has moved from East St. Louis to Swansea. So the tip of the trial goes out to all the f- people with the Veterans Affairs Center. And uh, why don't we go ahead and just take a break, and we'll... Take some phone calls, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. The Blues will go to
1: the Stanley Cup Final. Kingdom OX is your exclusive home for every Stanley Cup Final game. If the Blues and Cards play at the same time, Cardinal fans, you can hear the games on Y98FM. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, 1-800-925-1120
6: or 314-436-7900 if you have questions, concerns, or comments. And, Mike, let's head to Shiloh, Illinois, and into Kelly's yard. Hi, Kelly.
9: Hi, Mike. Good morning.
6: Good morning.
9: Um, I have two um, pink dogwoods planted about 12 feet apart that have been established about 5 years they flowered beautifully this spring and now the leaves are turning brown and curling
2: I to me all the leaves are just a few here and there all the leaves oh that means they've drowned okay so not too much you can do especially going to lose
9: them it uh, doesn't sound
2: good. Yeah, it doesn't sound really good. So in other words, they're fine, healthy, and everything else. But you know, they were kind of on the cusp. You know, we've had several calls about people who've had plant material that have just gone downhill this year. But if you think about how much we've almost had two thirds the amount of rain that we normally get in a full year in only a couple months, so that's you know probably what has happened with them. Shoot. Okay. Yeah. I mean, just. Uh, just watch them. You know how the buds look and everything else. So if the foliage all falls off, uh, that's not a good sign. What you can do, though, is go out with your thumbnail, uh, scrape some of the bark off the underside of a few branches, and see if it's uh, still greenish. Don't do it yet because you know it's still going to be green because they actually flowered and they were healthy enough to do that. But in, let's say around 4th of July, go out and scrape a little bit of bark off and see what it looks like right underneath the bark and. the... Uh, that can indicate if this you know, particular branch is virtually dead.
9: Okay. I appreciate
4: your time.
2: Thank yep. you.
6: Sure. And, Mike, let's head out to Creve Corps. We're going to talk to Norm. Hi, Norm.
14: Hi, uh, Mike. We enjoy your program. I've got a question. We have some 100-year-old oak trees in our backyard, and at the trunk of one of them, it's separated. It looks kind of like a triangle going upwards, and one of our garden companies that's working in our yard said that it should be filled with foam. Does that make any sense, or
7: no? <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, what's foam going to do? No. If the if the bark is, you know, so we're actually we're seeing through the bark. We're seeing into the heartwood of the tree. So. Right. And so what I would do is go out there and pull as much loose bark as you possibly can. But, you know, shooting something in there, the, the problem that caused this, you know, is probably age, just like all the wrinkles I have on my face. You know, that's because of an age factor. And these are really old trees. So they're probably at the end of their life anyway. So putting some foam, they used to use cement, they used to use this, that and everything else. It really doesn't help anything.
14: It's so more, when you're saying pull the bark, you you mean the stuff that's on the inside. It's like dead it's like yeah anything, dead wood.
2: yeah, anything that's like loose bark, just pull it loose so you can see you know if you've got insect problems and other things, you know, that's beyond just the split of the trunk. Now, it could have been a lightning strike, you know, if the if the split goes all the way up higher up into the tree. No. But uh so it's probably just an age factor.
14: Yeah, it's um like the tree looks healthy. I mean, you know, with all the rain and everything, right? The leaves and everything. So, uh, so the recommendation is not to put anything in the. Uh... Yeah, just
2: leave it alone. Sometimes that can cause more problems than do you know than it can do good. But okay. by pulling again, pulling the any kind of loose bark off. Don't pry it off or anything else. That just let's say, minimizes the amount of problems that potentially could happen with loose bark, where you, all of a sudden you are going to have a bunch of insects underneath that, and then they could be causing more problems for the tree just overall.
14: Okay. Well, as always, we appreciate your uh, expert advice. Well, thank you. Thank you.
6: And, Mike, let's head to, let's see, Susan is in Baldwin. All right. Hi, Susan. Good morning, Mike. I have
13: a question about um, my ostrich ferns. I have two large, they're kind of shallow pots of ostrich ferns, and they've probably been in these pots for about 15 years and have done beautifully. Um, Last year they were in need of more dirt. This year they're in serious need of more dirt. And I don't know what to plant, what to repot them in or what to add to it. I don't remember what we did originally. Um, Someone told me I should use a garden mix instead of potting mix. I have miracle Grow potting mix. But what is the best thing for me to plant these in? I
2: would say a garden mix is not what you want to do. You want to use potting mix. And what makes you think they need to be, you know, put into more soil or whatever?
13: Um, When we we moved last year and they lost a lot of dirt in the move. Oh. They're down to just a very small amount of dirt in there. (laughs) They're coming back really strong and healthy. Last year I was afraid to do anything and they came back. A little bit I didn't lose the plants, right, they came back a little bit, but this year they seem to be back on track with thriving again, but they know but very but they are seriously low in dirt, so I feel like I need to add something to them,
7: yeah,
2: so just you know tip them and pull them out of the pot you know add some don't put them in a bigger pot or anything if they've been successful that long, don't put them in larger pot or anything, and just add some you know some potting mix, and like you said, you had the miracle grow stuff. And just don't pile it up on this where the fronds are coming up out of the, you know, out of the fern or anything else. Just put it under yeah, at the bottom.
13: Okay. And when you – when you um, there's like those – it's like a black clump, like a clump that's coming up out of the dirt. Should I cover that? No. If that's like the root system. Don't that's cover fine. That. Just
2: leave it alone. Because a lot okay. of times we cause more problems, especially with houseplants, by burying things that should not be buried. So Aust- – you know, Aust- this is Australian fern, right? They're ostrich fern. Oh, oh, okay, ostrich. And they're ferns.
13: actually outside,
2: right? And so, so
13: they winter over and everything outside. So they. So this is
2: a hardy variety, and you ha- still have them in pots. I do.
13: I do. They've been. They
2: started out in pots surrounding a large tree
13: at our old house. Oh, okay. And they did beautifully there. So we've never moved, never had moved them, or done anything with them. But then when we moved houses, I brought them with me. Right. And that's when we lost a lot of dirt.
2: Okay. So, and so just, I would, you know, just, you know, now I understand. Then you should be using probably like a compost topsoil blend and not potting. I thought they were tropical ferns because I wasn't paying that much attention when you said ostrich fern <laughs> as opposed to Australian fern. So consequently, gotcha. you want to add organic matter around them, but don't bury them or anything else.
13: Okay, so so where the the black things are? Do I just lift them up and add dirt under them and put them back, or just add it around just, the
2: edges? Just add around the edges.
13: Oh, okay. So don't even disturb them
2: where no, they are. No, just the time. don't fool with them.
13: Okay, that's kind of what I did last year, but this year I'm like, oh man, I've got to do something with them. <laughs> no,
2: what you did, your instincts were right on.
13: Okay, perfect. So just like regular garden mix that's topsoil and compost.
2: Right, exactly. And just
13: around the edges so that the black clumps, they seem to be coming back this year all on one side of each pot. The
2: yeah. other
13: side doesn't seem to be doing anything.
2: That's just you know the side that's pushing more growth out. And ultimately, you could just pull them out of the pot and plant them in the ground, but don't do it going into summertime.
13: Okay. That's why I was afraid they've done so well. I was afraid to try them in new ground or right. anything so they get good and strong again.
2: Exactly. And because if you have, like, near large trees, the large tree root systems can really compete with, uh, you know, ferns, even if they're well-established older ferns, and it could be – so you might want to leave them in the – you know, just leave them in the pot. That keeps the tree roots out of the pots, basically.
13: Okay. And these pots are – they're about 8 inches deep, and they're probably 22 inches wide. Whoa. Great. Sounds... And and so okay. So just take so just take the garden mix and add it around the edges, but don't cover any of like the um it looks like a root system or something. Yeah, don't up. bury that stuff. Okay. All right, wonderful. I really appreciate your help. Great. Thank you so much. Have a good day.
6: Certainly. All right. And now let's head to Oakville and into Ben's yard. Hello, Ben.
3: Good morning. Um I have a large stump in my backyard. Actually it's forty inches in diameter. If I cut a hole in the stump, and plant a crown of thorns,
5: would it grow?
2: No. Crown of thorns is not a hardy plant, first of all. So, basically, nothing will grow in a stump. So, regardless of what you do, what happens is, I'm assuming the stump has been there for how long? How long has the tree been removed?
3: Okay, the tree's, tree's been removed for about five years.
2: Yeah, still, the, still it has the wood quality, and that's why... You know, let's say from Amron coming in and clearing stuff off power lines, the wood that they take down and just spread, that really causes more damage than good. So when they offer it free, what happens is actually the wood will absorb nutrients, moisture, and other things. So anything that you plant where the wood content is really high, which is a stump, is not going to enable anything to be able to survive whatsoever. You could set a pot on top of it. But other than that, you can't plant anything in the stump.
3: Not even if you. I mean, you, when you take the wood out of the stump, if, if you dig it out, you put dirt in it, but it's still not going to grow.
2: No. Basically, what's going to happen is the the actually the impact of the wood that's surrounding it is going to cause you know the new plant that you put there you know some real real trouble. So even if you have the stump ground out and everything else. It's. I never advise people to plant right over where the stump was because the wood content is still really high. And the wood is, until the stump starts falling apart, then you'd rake as much of the wood away. And I'd still be very cautious about trying to plant something exactly where that stump was.
3: Oh, wow. Okay, well, thank you so very much. I appreciate the information. Sure. Thank you.
6: And now we're headed to Wright City and talking to Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Good morning.
4: Uh, okay, so the tree whose first syllable is what they all look like this year. Can you tell me what that's all about?
2: The tree whose first syllable?
4: Sick more. They all look sickly. Is it from <laughs> all the rain? <laughs> or?
2: I don't know, but I'll tell you. If In Wright City, if that's happening, all the sycamores in the city, they have a lot of them, like street trees around the parks. They all look like skeletons. I mean... Well, that's you, what
4: all the, I just came all the way from Granite City to Wright City and they all look the same. Yeah. They either have hardly any leaves at all or the leaves they do have are very small and as you know sycamore leaves are very big. Right. And they and and I hate cutting them down but people are wanting me to because all you do is sneeze and hawk and spit the whole time <laughs> because they're very <laughs> allergenic trees. Uh, so Anyway I was just wondering if you knew what was going on with them
2: now I it's got to be related to weather that's the only thing I can think of that one really severe cold snap I can only think that the you know the sycamore buds you know were exposed or something but I mean the, like I around us there's probably let's say within the park that's right across the street and within our neighborhood there's probably like thirty sycamores and there may be one that looks halfway normal adequate and the other twenty nine look horrible
4: well maybe that one drained better or something that's all I can think of yeah just sitting in water too long or something because they all look sickly
2: right so. and and you know with sycamores I mean, they can handle pretty much a lot of water, and especially after all these years. I mean, these are big trees that I'm talking about, and the ones you're talking about are probably large as well. And I think it's just. Yeah, they're large. Yeah, weather related. You know, it was temperature wise, rain wise, and everything. Just it was a nasty combination for that particular variety of trees.
4: Right. Well, and that last guy, too, that called about the stumps, I think maybe he was talking about like a 30 or you know, 28 inch tall stump, just hollowing a part of it out and putting dirt in there. And then put, I do that with flowers all the time and it works quite well. But it, if he's talking about the stump is already ground down, then right. you're a hundred percent right. And I thought maybe he was just talking about sitting them down in there and using the stump as a planter itself. I've had very good luck with that.
6: Well, great. Well, thanks for the insight. Appreciate uh,
4: it. Okay. have a Have a good day. Yep.
6: And, Mike, let's talk to Kate. She's on her way to Brighton. Hi, Kate. Hi. Go ahead.
9: I was calling to see if I planted some of the Roberta's creeping thyme last year, and they were little babies. And some of them, the ones I planted, like, in the dirt, it said they like sandy soil and dry around, you know, rocks and stones. And I put them in there, but none of those came back. They all died. Hmm. But I planted, I planted some in, like, mulch, and those have come back this year, and they're huge. And my question is, can I split those and move them?
2: Not this time of year. It's too late. Oh. I mean, you could late. try it, but, I mean, this is a time of year where we're really facing some harsh weather. You know, even though this is still May for another few days, We've got summer coming up in about three or four weeks, and who knows how intense it's going to be. And you split plants, you're tearing up the root system by splitting them, and consequently, they may not get reestablished enough to be able to handle the relocation or the transplanting. And even though herbs, you know, like a drier soil and everything else, they still, uh, you know, probably with the circumstance where they didn't make it was it was just too dry, and you know whatever happened and the other ones you just kind of got lucky with if they're growing in just pure mulch
9: yeah they are but i didn't know if if it's all because i mean they've come up above the ground and they've spread but i don't know if there's any root system under there you know like i haven't even tried to pull anything yet i just don't even know if they're splittable
2: <laughs> <laughs> right exactly i'm 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 growing creeping thyme in window boxes And mine have been spectacular. I planted them last fall, and they've really done well. And uh, I'm thinking about trying to stick a few of them in the ground, but I'm going to wait. You know, I might stick a couple in the ground just so if somebody calls in the future and says, "Well, can I do my, you know, time, you know, into the ground right now?" I can say, "Yes, you got great luck with it." Because the garden centers still have a lot of plant material and everything else. It's just. That is the root systems are already intact, so you're just pulling them out of the pot from the nursery and planting them. But to divide something, you're tearing up the plant material, and that's where the problem comes in.
9: Okay, I won't touch those, but I have one. I did plant, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, I think maybe three little babies in a great big potter. So those little, that, those right there, can I take those and put those in the ground?
2: Yeah, just make sure that you get, you know, the entire root system. Okay. what well, yeah, water it the night before and then, you know, pull them up, you know, dig them up.
9: Okay, sounds good. And then if what with the rest of them, do I need to split them in the fall or when is a good time for me to split those and replant?
2: I would probably say wait until we come out of wintertime sometime uh, middle of March or something along that line.
9: Oh, next year? Yeah. Okay.
2: Because, again, it's- it's- you know, it's just, its I mean, you could do it in the fall if you want to because the ground's really warm and everything else. But I always, with the herbs in general, I like to spring plant or translocate or whatever. All
9: right. And just go right in the center of the
2: plant, do you think? Uh No, I'd pull up the whole plant and then chop the plant into pieces.
9: Okay. All right. Sounds good.
2: <laughs> Great. Well, good luck. I really
9: appreciate it. Thanks yeah. for your
2: help. Parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. <laughs> Mike Miller, KMWalks Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: Unbelievable. And the St. Louis Blues, for the first time in
7: 49 years, have done it. It was a really tough start at the start of the season, but uh, we fight back. Unbelievable. The Blues will go to the Stanley Cup final. We're, uh, you know,
3: four wins away from, you know, winning this thing. Imagine that.
1: Unbelievable. The St. Louis Blues. The Boston Bruins. And game one Monday night. A rematch. 49 years in the making. Unbelievable. The game at six, the butt drops at seven, and you can hear all the Stanley Cup final games right here on your voice of the St. Louis Blues, KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX.
6: And, Mike, our next guest on the show is Don Collinan, and he is actually a commercial arborist. All right. A few, Hi, Don. A few answers for folks. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, ISA
5: certified arborist and uh, just uh, had some answers to some of those questions people had, uh, particularly about the sycamore problem uh, with the leaf uh, defoliation. Uh, that is, uh, you were correct, that is uh, weather-related. Uh, the cool wet weather we've had just uh, promotes the leaf fungus. It's called anthracnose. Um, the trees, if they're in reasonably good condition, uh, will all refoliate and, uh, and replenish that foliage that, that they've lost when the weather finally starts to warm up and, and dry up. Uh, we're also seeing the problem on ash trees quite a bit and then uh with the ornamental pear trees a lot of leaf spot fungus so uh, people shouldn't you know shouldn't panic uh, there are good uh companies out there that will come out and diagnose the problem if they have concerns but uh, the, with this the sycamores and the ash trees uh they should all be fine It certainly uh, be a good idea to uh when things do dry up, to do some supplemental watering to avoid any other stresses to the trees, and they might consider doing some fertilizing with the trees as well to uh, just uh, maintain, maintain the trees and uh, so that they're as healthy as possible.
2: Well, thank you. I greatly appreciate it. So that insight is perfect.
5: All right. Well, I just uh, heard uh, some of those issues and just felt I need to call and uh, and, and inform you uh, what uh, what's taking place out here. We're seeing that uh, every day we're getting a lot of calls on it.
2: I'll bet. So,
5: all right. Thanks. Have a good day. Thanks well, for your
6: service. Well, thank you. And thanks for calling in, giving that uh, your background insight. And now let's go to South County and talk to Peggy. Hi, Peggy.
0: Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. My question is, on your hydrangeas, I've got They're starting to bloom, but I've got a lot of, like, sticks. I can't decide if some of them are just dead. Would it be okay to cut the sticks out of them or leave them alone? I know sometimes some of the leaves will come and it looks like it's dead wood. Right.
2: But if you're hydrangeas, if you have stems coming up out of the ground or whatever that have no leaves on them by now, those are probably cooked, gone, dead. Okay. So you can cut those out. So just make sure when you make a cut... Cut, make a, the cut at a 45-degree angle, so an angle that just helps, you know, or minimizes the chances of any other problems coming into, let's say, a new open wound, which is a pruning cut.
0: Okay. Now, I also have had, like, I was kind of pulling on some of them that were just sticks, and I was getting like the whole bunch would come out, <laughs> like in a grouping.
2: Well, it might be just, you know, those that particular clump or whatever is, uh, you know.
0: Is dead wood? Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's what I was thinking. Now, is there anything natural that you can use besides roundup on like po- poison oak and ivy that are kind of on the perimeters of the, my yard?
2: Yeah, that's you know right. To me, there probably is some organic products, and I like organics. you know I use, I use them. I you know, believe in them and everything else, but something as you know as mean as you know, let's say poison ivy, poison oak and that stuff. Yeah, you know, maybe if somebody can call in and say they've had great success killing that with an organic product, please call and let you know. Let me know, but yeah. I don't know of anything other than Roundup and not regular Roundup, Roundup for killing poison ivy and woody plants. That's the only thing that I've found that has really been truly successful, other than physically removing it.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's why I didn't want to touch it. Right. Um. What about would vinegar do anything?
2: You could try it.
0: Or vin- I was thinking, or if it would just give it a lot of acid in the soil. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I mean, there is is horticultural vinegar, so you could give it a try. I mean, there's lots of different products that yeah. you know, are herbis- organic herbicides. But, uh, you know, with something is mean and tough, and especially if they're well-established plantings, the root yeah. systems are very, very extensive.
0: Yeah, because I've got, like, woods behind me, and oh. I can just see it. You know, I'm like, oh, shoot, here here it comes again. Right, you
2: know? <laughs> exactly. Great but, fall color, but really aggravating as far as uh, other things yeah.
0: go. Yeah, that's why I just happened to think about vinegar or salt, and I thought, well, maybe I put vinegar and salt on.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, if you if know, they like it, you yeah. Know? If
2: you, I wouldn't put any salt personally, but uh,
0: just vinegar. Maybe try it. Yeah,
2: give it a. You know, go to your favorite garden center and see if they have any horticultural vinegar. And I mean, that's specifically for. Or just try regular vinegar. I don't know. I'm I've just never... gonna
0: try regular vinegar. Yeah and that and just see what happens.
2: Are you going to use white vinegar or apple cider vinegar?
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to use white.
6: <laughs> I eat him too much. Right. Great.
0: Okay, well, thanks for your help today. Have a good weekend.
6: Sure, you do the very same thing. And, Mike, let's head to Florissant and chat with CJ. Hi, CJ. Hi, Mike.
11: Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I have a question. I have a wisteria bush, and uh, it's blooming beautifully with the red trumpet flowers, mm-hmm. but there are several very, like the original stock of the plant um, in the middle that are just nothing. There's no leaves, no branches, nothing, just one large, about I would say half inch to three quarters of an inch branch in, in the plant that seems to be dead. Right. Can I cut that out? Is that going to destroy the bush?
2: No, no, no! You can get get rid of it. Any dead wooding, whether it's on major trees or on shrubs or anything else, that's always a wise thing to do, because it can okay. be an invitation for other potential problems— insects, be it diseases, be it bacteria or anything else. So keep them as clean as possible. So anything that doesn't leave hasn't leafed out, and certainly anything that has—I mean, with the rest of the shrub flowering, just get rid of that.
11: And when is a good time to prune that those bushes? Because it's it's probably between six and seven foot tall. Right. It's getting a little out of you know, control there.
2: Basically, anything that flowers, let's say this time of year, all the way up until, you know, say the summer bloomers, you want to prune them within a few weeks or a month or so after they finish flowering, because they set the flower buds, you know, in a few months later for the following year.
11: Yes, because I know it's it's bloomed later this year than normally. Right. Normally it blooms around Easter time, yeah. around April or so. So I didn't know whether I could cut it now or just wait. Yeah, till, wait till it's, it's finished
2: flowering, and then you've got to, you know, like I said, a couple of weeks after that. Okay.
11: And right. one other thing, the lady that I called previously, I must say, my yard had poison ivy in it. And what I did, I was told by a friend of mine, uh, a gallon of water to a cup of white vinegar to three tablespoons of salt and mix that all up and spray it around the ground and on the plant. And it took care of my poison
2: ivy. Great. Well, thanks for the insight. You're welcome. Have a great day. You do the very same thing. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: Take me out to the ball game. Get ready for the Cards and Braves tonight. Emerald Total Access 520. First pitch, 615. Hear it here on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX. This is the St. Louis
6: Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. And, Mike, first up we have Peggy with a really quick question about killing that poison ivy. All right. Hi, Peggy.
0: Um, Hi, Mike. Can you repeat that recipe that lady called in for the poison ivy?
6: I think it was a gallon
2: of water, uh-huh. a, a cup of vinegar, white vinegar, and I can't remember how much salt she said.
0: Yeah, that's what I I was trying to write it down, too, and I was like,
2: how much salt was it? Yeah, I, I would have to think it wouldn't be a huge amount of salt, but maybe. Uh, you know, probably maybe a couple tablespoons or something like that.
0: Yeah, a fourth a cup or something. Yeah. yeah.
2: But just okay. I mean, all
0: then I thought, oh, this is perfect. Okay.
2: <laughs> just okay, realize well, if you if you put this down, you know, just if you get it on other plant material, it's probably gonna kill that too. So you just have to be cautious. Yeah. Well,
0: I mean what lesser of two evils. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: Okay. All right, be, thanks again.
2: Yeah, being somebody that has had poison ivy a lot in my
6: life, you know, I've never really enjoyed it all that much. Great fall color, but uh, <laughs> Now we're heading up to Bell Fountain Neighbors and into Mike's Yard. Hi, Mike. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Very good. Uh, rewind a little bit on the
8: uh, red dogwood. Ours is uh, it's about 8-inch diameter at the base. Uh, two-thirds of the tree on two-thirds of the dimension of the leaves is turning brown. Ooh. Uh, the other third looks pretty good. Uh, he said that's a... Uh, Drown too much water, exactly. No, no, no fix, nothing. Uh, no, I uh, know last year we sprayed a fungicide on there,
2: yeah. But this Take is it not, That's what it, yeah, this yeah. is not fungus, this is related to too much moisture in the ground. So, okay, it's unfortunate you think after all these years, how could that happen? But this year has been exceptional. With I mean, a quick story related to moisture. We live in the city, and we had so much rain when we had that two days in a row of super huge downpours. We had water coming up in the drain in our basement. So that's the first time we've been in this house 12 years that anything like that has ever happened. So it just got overwhelming for even MSD.
8: Yeah, we've got two dogwoods, one red, one white, and they're 15 feet apart. Right. And the white one is is fine, the red one... It's uh, you know, on the west side of the yard, if you will, and, uh, you know, just no rhyme or reason
14: to it, huh?
2: No, it's just weather-related. And the <laughs> pinks and it's... reds are a lot less, I mean, they're less hardy than the white. So, okay. I mean, that that's just not a natural one. That's kind of a man-made plant, so that makes it a little bit weaker to, uh,
6: you know, let's say weird weather, which that's what we've had.
10: Gotcha. All righty, sir, thank you. Yep.
6: And our last call of the day is going to be Margie in Cottleville. Hi, I'm, Mike. Hi, Margie.
2: Hey, I need your
15: help. Um, my husband told me, he said, WWMD, what would Mike do about this situation? So we um, have some brand new trees in the backyard, and it seems like the birds or the squirrels are, are, are on the new branches and eating the buds and stripping kind of the, the new branches, and we're real concerned about it damaging the trees. So what kind of suggestions that you have for me to uh, try to get these animals under control?
2: I would say try some of the repellents, but are, birds are eating in the branches? Well, I just don't
15: know. It's the birds are in the, on the branches, and I see them, like, pecking at the buds. And then I also see squirrels up there. And I'm not there the whole time, so we come back and look at the tree. And right. the branches are just stripped. So I'm guessing it's just maybe... So many are there because the bird feeder is kind of nearby.
2: But I don't think the birds are going to really be doing any damage. If there's seeds okay. hanging from the tree, like some kind of, let's say it's a maple tree that has little maple you know seeds on it or something mm-hmm. like that, they could be going after the seeds, but they're not going to be damaging the branches. The okay. squirrels—they're a little bit, you know—they're a little nuttier, so they could be doing some damage just because they're bored or whatever.
15: Right, and, and I have like eight of them. So, do you have suggestions for me to keep
2: to, to control those squirrels? Uh, you could try again going with a repellent. You could maybe try hanging some, uh, like with the deer, hanging uh, bars of Irish Spring soap. But uh, okay. it's, I mean, okay. squirrels are nuts. They, I mean, they don't care.
15: I know, and so I'm losing this battle. Right, that's my, that's my issue. So I'm, I'm willing to pull out all the, all the guns, whatever <laughs> I need to do. Yeah. So
2: get, you know, I mean, just try and a repellent, and then try the Irish Spring soap. Just hang okay. the bars.
15: All right, I'll do that. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much.
2: Certainly. Yes, I guess that's it for this week, folks. And again, you're going to start seeing certain plants dying in your landscape and that's the cool season weeds that emerged last mid to late august that's when you'll be putting the pre-emergent down to stop them for the future that's henbit chickweed annual bluegrass prickly lettuce and all kinds there's a few other ones as well so they're going dormant because it's getting hot mike miller kmr's garden hotline see you next week
6: this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance